Steve. Oh, here we go. Let's let's pray. Uh, let's pray this morning uh, for Steve. Steve lost his Bible uh, on a Harley motorcycle drive after Bible study, and it's been his Bible for a long time. So I'd like to pray that we. God sends it back to him somehow. He's had it for, I think, over 40 years. Is that right, Peg? More than north of 40 years, he's had that, that sword. Okay, so 45 years plus, he's had that book uh, that God gave to him and gave to all of us. So let's pray that uh, somehow it comes back into his hands. He doesn't care about the backpack, doesn't care about the paperwork for work. He just cares about that leather-bound Bible that he that uh, ended up on North Avenue. So, anyway, let's pray for that real quick, and then we'll get started. Father, we give you glory. Uh, thank you for being an awesome God. And we know that when we pray for things in the name of Jesus, there is power there. And uh, we also know that you're never early, but you're always on time. Father, I pray uh, that you bring Steve's Bible back to him. Uh, let this be a testimony to your faithfulness and our faithfulness to you. I uh, pray for Steve, and I pray for... Uh, the return of the sword. We praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, believe it so. Now, again, maybe it's 20 years from now, but we're just going to have faith. Uh, this concept of raising boys, um, it is a faith increaser. For anybody that has boys, or maybe will have boys one day, it increases faith, but it also increases blood pressure. Now, uh, I have four, and my youngest, Ridge, is I think, I think Jonas might be his, his hero. Uh, he wants to be like Jonas in the trapping world, and so this Jeremiah Johnson uh, mentality that Jonas has, Ridge I, is starting to, I'm starting to see this become who Jonas is, and so he starts trapping uh, around our house, uh, beaver, or not beavers, but a fox and, and raccoons and skunks because they eat uh, the chicken eggs, and obviously we've got to, you know, gently relocate those animals into a heavenly place uh, after we trap them to make sure that we can have our chickens. And so uh, I get home the other day, I forget where we were, my hunting, or no, we were somewhere. I get home the other day, and Ridge tells a story about how he was, he was trapped, he was setting his bait inside of this trap, and this trap, he crawls in the trap to set the bait on the other end of it because an animal will go into the trap, it's a steel cage, and something will trigger and it closes the gate. And so he climbs in the trap. This is almost at dark two days ago. He climbs in the trap and he says there's an accident. I was just climbing in to set this egg on the end of it and it's on this canal road and there's a little water ditch next to it and he's on this canal road at the neighbor's house because the neighbor asked that they, he, they trap the critters coming in and out. So he climbs in the trap and his, his hand or something kicks the, the, the gate, it drops down and there's a nine-year-old boy stuck in a steel trap at our neighbor's house. So this morning I drove by and I was trying to picture, I was kind of my blood pressure went up a little bit because I said, God, you know how dangerous that is? It's dark. Titus is out somewhere doing something with some friends, and then the, a couple of kids are with me, and Evelyn's somewhere, and I think she's at the house. And so uh, Ridge is by himself, stuck in a steel trap at 6 o'clock at night at the neighbor's house, 200 yards from our front door. I have no idea where he's at. So I asked him, did you cry? And he goes, yeah, a little bit. Did you scream? Yeah, I, I was screaming. 
like, how did you get out? He goes, I grabbed my pocket knife, and I clipped the edges of the, the, the front gate, because the front gate, you know, he clips it, he drops the front gate, he gets out, he's all set, he's good to go, and then he acts just kind of nonchalantly, tells me about it. So this morning, I told Brenda, hey, she was driving, I said, stop by the trap real quick, I want to see how big this thing is so I can tell the story. I was under the assumption that he had to climb real far in there just to, like, set it. He kind of misled me. The cage is this long, and Ridge is this long. So I think what happened was you were trying to see if you could fit inside the trap, and it backfired on you. Because there's no way your feet are going to go in there unless you bend your knees, and it's so tight, you can't turn around, you can't flip over. So if you can picture Ridge stuck in a steel trap, that's why my blood pressure goes up, Raisin Boys. A girl would never do anything like that because they're too intelligent to go, you know what, I don't want to get stuck in this trap, but my boys, why not? So, last Sunday I spoke uh, on the moose hunt, and I was golfing with Jared uh, a couple days ago, and Jared mentioned that he was on, uh, on this hunt with me mentally, that I, I, I told the story of the hunt where he says, man, I felt like I was there with you on this moose hunt. And one of my lifelong goals of the, within the church body is to get Jared's wife, Kim, to allow him to go hunting with me. Um, but I don't think she has the faith, I think you're lacking faith, uh, that he's going to come back safely. Um, so he will come back safely, Lord willing. Um, but anyway, that, that, uh, that story kind of brought me back to this Alaska trip that I took. And during that Alaska trip, I had a really great conversation with a uh, hunting friend of mine, and it was, on a, it was on a Sunday morning. We were stuck in the, the weather, wouldn't let us fly out. So we were sitting there talking about the Bible, and the subject of Peter came up, the Apostle Peter. And through our discussions about Peter, we started to relive through the Scriptures Peter's life and what he had dealt with and what he had witnessed and what he had overcome and his, the faith that he had had. And so uh, this morning I want to talk about Peter, and I want to look at Peter's life according to the Scriptures. And this might take a little bit different turn than you're expecting, but that's okay. So we're going to look at Peter's life. Uh, there's a lot of Scriptures in there, but believe me, they're all the same topic. They're all the same subject. Uh, and we're going to start with just looking in the book of Matthew. And the first eight Scriptures we're going to look at, we're going to be fairly quick, but we're going to establish kind of what Peter witnessed as he was being called by Jesus and as he was following Jesus. And I want you to picture, like, if you were Peter, if you were a fisherman, and in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says that while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, meaning Jesus, Simon, who is called Peter, and, his, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. So, Jesus calls Peter, he's doing his job, he's fishing, he calls Peter and says, hey, you're going to follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And Peter says, okay. So he starts to follow him. And if you begin to look through the book of Matthew, we're going to be in order here, and if you go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, we have this picture, I want you, as we're going through this, I want you to picture Peter kind of in step with Jesus the whole way. Peter is walking with him, they're, they're, they're camping together, they're... They're, they're performing, or he, Jesus is performing miracles, and Peter is right there witnessing it. And one of the miracles that Peter witnesses is uh, Jesus visits Peter's house, and in verse 14, 
chapter 8, it says, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, this is, a, this is where the, some ill-informed, ignorant preacher will make a joke about mother, mother-in-laws. I've got a mother-in-law that I actually like. But Peter witnesses Jesus healing his mother-in-law. He, he, she's sick with fever. He heals her. Okay, And then it says, that evening they brought to Jesus, to him, and many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. So Jesus visits Peter's house, he cures his mother-in-law, and then he performs other miracles right in front of Peter. And then if you go a little bit later in the chapter of Matthew chapter 8, you see in verse 23, it says, and when he got into the boat, talking about Jesus. Jesus gets into this boat on the sea, and it says, and his disciples followed him. So his disciples entered into the boat with Jesus. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Jesus was sleeping, and the storm was going. You've seen the pictures, and you've seen the, you know, the stories in the children's church about the storm is, is going crazy, and the waves are going big, and Jesus is sitting there sleeping. And It says here, and they went and they woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? So Peter witnesses his mother-in-law being healed of fever. He witnesses demons coming out at Jesus' word. He witnesses, if you've ever been on a boat with the waves rocking the boat, He witnesses Jesus calming the storm. Okay, so Peter's had all of these miracles so far. Excuse me. He has these miracles so far. And then if you go a little bit further in the chapter, or in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew 9, 1 through 7, it says, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So Peter witnessed a man who was paralyzed. I want you to picture, like, be Peter for a minute. Your mother-in-law is healed. Uh, He calms the storm. There's someone that's paralyzed in a wheelchair. He can't walk, and Jesus says, rise, rise up and walk. So he witnesses Jesus of Nazareth healing a man who is paralyzed. You look at the next passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 23. And it says, oh, where am I? Sorry, did I just get, I just got mixed up there. No, Matthew uh, 9, 23, that's what I have in there. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll start in uh, verse 18. While he was still saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. 
And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. But Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, go away, for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all the district. So Jesus witnessed, or Peter witnessed Jesus raising a young girl from the dead. Would you think at this point Peter's faith is really starting to increase? Like this, maybe this one that says, I am, I am the son of God, I am, in the, in the, in the words of Abram, maybe this is someone I need to start paying attention to. And then if you go to Matthew 14, this is one that has always amazed me, uh, just this, this concept, I mean, for me, the healing of, the paralytic man or the, the raising someone from the dead doesn't seem as intense as this passage right here. So in Matthew 14, verse 28, it says, And Peter answered him, this is when Jesus is walking on water, and, and, and they see Jesus walking on water, and they're worried, and they think it's a ghost, and he says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Peter walked on water. Okay. Jesus was not just walking on water. Peter was walking on water. And naturally his faith, like any of us, would walk on water and then all of a sudden we'd start to sink and we'd get nervous and Jesus said, I got your back. So, but the point is, Peter witnessed miracles. He witnessed the paralytic. He witnessed the dead. He witnessed demons coming out. And then Peter walks on water. Uh, in Matthew 16, we know the passage where they say, who do, you, who do the people say that I am? And, and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're this. Some say you're that. And then he says, Simon, who do you say I am? He says, you are the son of God. And he blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for God has revealed this to you. And so he is in... He in at this point in Matthew 16, verse 13 through 20, he enlists Peter to go and preach the word of God. He says, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. And so Jesus gives Peter this authority, and this is a whole other sermon about the rock and Peter, but Jesus gives Peter this authority that when he preaches the message, it will open up the truth of the gospel and people will be able to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So Peter gets the keys to the kingdom of heaven. It's given to the apostles also in Matthew chapter 18. So the next passage is Matthew 17, which I find extremely interesting because in Matthew 17 we have what's called the transfiguration. In the transfiguration, you have three men that are invited with Jesus to go up onto the mountain. And it's Peter, James, and John. So Peter, James, and John are led up to the mountain by Jesus, and they're up on top of the mountain, and it says in verse 2, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, 
And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Here's what is significant about this. A couple things. One, there's only three men that were invited of the 12 that got to go up with Jesus to the mountain at the Mount of Transfiguration. The second thing that I think is extremely important is three times in the New Testament, only three times did the audible voice of God speak from the heavens. Once at the baptism of Jesus, once here at the Mount of Transfiguration, and once at the crucifixion. Only three times in the New Testament do, do men hear the voice of God speak, and this is one of them. And Peter was one of the three men that were allowed to accompany Jesus in this meeting. And so, at this point, you would think that Peter, his faith was so unshakable, it was unconquerable, he was a rock at this point, there is no way anybody is going to be able to force me to deny the king of kings. I've walked on, I walked on water with the man. I watched him heal a paralytic. I watched somebody that was blind see. I mean, I was on the mountain and I heard God speak about him. There is no way any of us would ever deny Jesus at that point, right? Right? I have empathy for Peter because I'm just thinking, would, would, I, have, would I have stood firm even after all that? I don't know. I mean, Peter was called by God. He saw all these things, and I wonder, would I have stood firm? And so then something happens in Matthew 26 that Peter, who is a very, uh, as we see pictures and videos and stories about him, he seems like a very type A, confident man. And in Matthew chapter 26, in verse 30, it says, And when they had sung a hymn, Matthew 26, 30, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they fall away because of you, I will never fall away, Jesus said to Peter. Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. So Jesus said, even you guys, you're going to deny me before, you're going to deny me before it's over. And Peter, you're going to deny me before the rooster crows. And so Peter obviously doesn't believe that this is possible. He's like, I am so firm in my faith. I'm so, I'm so set in stone on who this Jesus is. I've witnessed, I've watched, I've walked on water, I've seen miracles, I've seen demons. I mean, I've been there with him for the last three years. There is no way I'm going to fall away from this man. He is the son of God, and I know it, and I professed it in front of people. And so if you, you fast forward a little bit in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 69, and this account is in all four Gospels. All four Gospels basically say the exact same thing minus one Gospel. There's a very small nuance, but in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69... 
It says Peter, and this is after Jesus uh, prays in Gethsemane, and this is after Jesus is before Caiaphas and the council, and they're sitting there, and and Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. This is after Jesus is arrested, and, and he's already instituted the Lord's Supper and all that stuff. And a servant girl walks up to Peter. Now, that word servant girl, if you're reading out of the King James Version, is damsel. And it means a slave girl. Okay? This is not the king's wife. This is not even a high priest's wife. This is not even a priest's wife or daughter. This is a slave girl. The lowest of the low. A slave girl. And she comes up to Peter and she says to him, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another slave girl saw him. Another one. Not another king's daughter, but another slave girl. Comes to her, comes to Peter, and says, uh, again, accuses him, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it, and he said, with an oath, even he swore to it, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you are two, one of you two are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Oh, Peter, you saw all the miracles. You yourself were part of a miracle. And yet you denied Jesus after three years of walking with him. You denied him to the lowest of the low of people. Let's fast forward about 50 days. 50 days. We're going to fast forward. Jesus dies. He's crucified. He resurrects from the dead. He goes and preaches to the spirits who disobeyed long ago. And then he resurrects and he spends time for 40 days talking and walking and teaching and preaching about himself and proving that he was, in fact, risen from the dead. And in Acts chapter 2, in verse 14 through 40, we're not going to read the whole thing. It takes about a minute and 30 seconds to read minute and 45 seconds to read the entire sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. But in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 through 40 in your notes, Peter, Peter preaches this bold sermon. And historians say that on the day of Pentecost, there was roughly 2 to 3 million people in Jerusalem. Now, we know for a fact, for a fact biblically, there was at least 3,000 people that Peter is preaching to. So this Peter who just denied him two months ago, now is speaking boldly to thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people about who Jesus Christ is. And we know it's 3,000 at least because if you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, uh, 41 it says uh, that uh, and, and about 3,000 of people were added to their number that day. About 3,000 accepted the message, they were baptized, and it says they were added to their number that day in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And so we know at least 3,000 people, and there was about 120 disciples at the time. 
So Peter preaches this message to them. And then if you go forward a little bit further in time, in Acts chapter 4, it says that Peter was preaching the gospel, that Peter was healing a lame man, that because he healed this lame man, he gets brought in, he's in Solomon's colonnade, and he's preaching, and he's teaching, and he's boldly professing Jesus Christ. And he's, he's brought in by the religious leaders of the day, not by like, a, a vagabond of, of bad guys that are trying to arrest him for causing you know, dissension among people, but he's brought in by religious leaders of the day. He's detained in Acts chapter 4. He's questioned, and then he's warned not to preach in this name any longer. He says, you're, they, they say the Sanhedrin and, and the, the, the priests and the captain of the temple guard, they say, you're not allowed to preach in the name of Jesus any longer. And Peter says, well, is it my job to obey God or man? Because there's no other name given to men by which we must be saved. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to please my God and my Father, and I'm going to please my Savior. So he boldly preaches, but they said, don't preach anymore. And he goes, all right, you going to let us go now? Yeah, get out of here. So they leave. And what do they do? They go preach in public again. They go, and they, they go out to Solomon's colonnade, and they're preaching in public, and they're healing people, and people are coming around going, man, these guys are insane. They just keep preaching this Jesus. And what happens to Peter? He's arrested again. And they go, look, you, you've, you were told not to do this. Stop doing it. So they arrest him. And what happens? An angel releases him. Now I know if I've been detained twice by the authorities of the land, the third time not going to happen. I'm fleeing to the mountains. I'm like, okay, I, I get your point. You told me not to do it. I'm not going to do it anymore. But that's not what Peter does. Peter gets released by an angel. The gates open. The jail, he's in the public jail. It opens up. What does he do? Let's go, guys. We've got to go back to the center again and preach Jesus. So they go out to the center of this temple. They begin preaching Jesus again. And these leaders are going, what is it with these guys? I can't stand them. So they go and arrest Peter again. And they bring him before the Sanhedrin. They bring him before the authorities of the land. And they go, look, we told you to stop doing this. We've told you, this is the third time we're going to make it stick this time. So what do they do? They beat him. They beat Peter. Physically beat Peter. And they said, okay, maybe it'll stick this time. So I want to read this one. In Acts chapter 2, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 5, this is after he's beaten. I'll read verse 40. Acts 5, 40 says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. What did they do? Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the Christ. This same Peter that denied Jesus 50 days prior, 50 days prior, the same Jesus that denied him to a slave girl, the lowest of the low, is standing before the highest of the land and says, bring it on. I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. I'm going to keep sharing the gospel. I'm going to keep sharing the faith. That's what I'm going to be doing. You can beat me, you can throw me in jail, it won't matter, I'm still going to... Where did the boldness come from? 
What changed? I mean, Peter, not, like, he didn't, he didn't become a new man, did he? I mean, what changed in Peter? And if you look at the scriptures of what happened before he denied Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, a couple chapters or verses later, it tells us what changed. And what changed was Peter got the Holy Spirit. That's what changed. The Holy Spirit of God entered Peter. The Spirit of God entered Peter. And that's where he got his courage and his boldness. And we see it in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And before Jesus ascended, it says, do not leave. You're going to be in Jerusalem, and I'm going to give you the Spirit, which I promised you. In a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so in Acts 2, 1 through 4, it says they were sitting around in the house, all of them gathered together, and tongues of fire came and rested on them. And the Holy Spirit of God came on Peter and the rest of the disciples. And that is what gave the boldness to Peter to preach unequivocally and unapologetically the gospel of Jesus. It wasn't his own strength. He had the personality to be the guy that was going to be the first one to introduce the Jews, the first one to introduce the Gentiles, the first one to introduce the Samaritans to the gospel. He had the personality for it, but he didn't have the inward strength and the courage that was required to put up with what he was going to put up with. We see that in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and then Acts 2, 38, he's preaching. And when we look at the when we look at the power of the Spirit, we see in John chapter 14 that Jesus promises, and John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, that Jesus promises to his disciples the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the role, many roles, but the role that I want to focus on is the Holy Spirit is there to give us wisdom, to give us understanding, to give us counsel, Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, to give us counsel, to give us faithfulness, to stay faithful. And quite frankly, it's there to give us a good old-fashioned fear of the Lord. I mean, what is the beginning of wisdom? Steve, you want to finish this one? The fear of the Lord. You want wisdom? You don't fear the Lord? Good luck. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit comes in us and dwells on us, and it's a reverent, amazing fear where you can look at what he's created and go, oh, God, you are awesome. But one of my favorite passages in the Bible is that God did not give us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power, of love, and self-discipline. That God gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control, of self-discipline. So when we look at Peter's life and we see, like, Peter, you didn't quite cut the muster here. And then you look 50 days later and you go, I want to have the boldness of Peter. What changed? Spirit of God. Spirit of God came on him. Spirit of God dwelled in him. The Spirit of God gave him the courage to do what he had called him to do. And this morning, as I look at the 
you know, the congregation and I think about my own life and I go, you know what? Does the Spirit of God speak to me? Does the Spirit of God speak to you? Does the Spirit of God guide you? Does the Spirit of God encourage you? Does the Spirit of God empower you? Does it give you power where you go, you know what, I'm going to walk the nine miles that i got to walk because I can't do it on my own. God, you're going to have to help me here. You're going to have to give me the mental ability to say, I can do this. They're going to carry me out feet first. That's the only way I'm coming out of here because I'm going to go, go, go because the Spirit of God, I'm created in His image. I'm going to fight through this situation in my marriage, at work, at home, with kids, with siblings, with friends. Am I going to fight through it because I have the power of the Holy Spirit guiding me? If you have that power, then praise God and good on you. Praise God. Praise God you have that. If you don't have that, and you don't feel that. Guys, the beauty of this book is it says, do you want that power? I can show you how to get it. it it's a choice. Don't get me wrong. It's not like push this button and you'll get it. It's a choice that humans make whether or not going, going to submit to the King of Kings and accept the Spirit of God that will dwell in them. It's a human choice. We want it or we don't want it. Some of us don't want it. Some of us are like, eh, I'm going to fight this battle on my own. You're just going to keep losing. Not to be the Debbie Downer, but you're just going to keep losing. And the Spirit of God is dwelling in you and guiding you. It gives you the power you need to get to where you want to go. It's an amazing gift. It's promised to us throughout the scriptures. It's promised to us in the Old Testament. It's prophesied in the Old Testament. That's one of the things that, that Peter said in Acts chapter 2 when they were, you know, kind of making fun of him, saying, you guys are drunk. And he's like, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. We're just, I mean, listen to this prophesy, guys. It says, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. I will pour out my spirit on all all flesh. It's a gift that we can have it if we want it. So I pray that you pray if you're not feeling that power that's available. Come talk to me. Come talk to Steve. Come talk to Dennis. Come talk to Peg. I mean, we got, we got women, men around here that will just sit with you and study the scriptures and share with you. Do you want the power it's available. We're going to pray. Uh, we're going to take communion as a church body and a church family. And then we're going to have some good old-fashioned fall chili. Okay? Love you guys. Let's, uh, let's pray.
Father, thank you so much that we can come here in a free country and we can look at the examples of the people that have gone on before us and have lived a life of faith to give us the encouragement, to give us the, the confidence that, uh, that we need. And Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray that if there are men or women in this room that are just not in tune yet with the Spirit of God, Father, you wipe down the pride, you get rid of it, you bring them to a place of humility to say, I need your gift. Father, break down those barriers right now. I just pray in the name of Jesus that the Spirit comes upon them and convicts them to learn more about you and learn what it means to be a disciple, to be a follower. We know it's possible, Father. You can do all things. We know your word says that God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. I pray for the humility of your creation. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.